Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. I am Tobias, and I'm back with Yusip Reune. What's up? Hey, Tobias. All good here. So big news again on my front, I did upgrade my phone and it's a 5G phone now. And I think I mentioned this briefly before that I had a fairly good phone, but I did drop that. And that was the first phone that I broke by dropping it. Then I got a cheap phone, sort of as a punishment to myself that I, that I broke my phone. And I figured I can, I can live with a cheap phone for two years. And after three, three weeks, I was, I was done with the phone because every time I would walk in the garage and my phone would, would detect my car over Bluetooth, uh, the phone would reboot. And it took about four minutes to boot the phone. So, so that was fairly painful. So anywho, uh, I went with a 5G phone now because all, all the new phones are 5G. And it's fast. And I read on the internet that if you have a 5, 5G uh, capacity or, or connectivity, that you can do stuff like remote telesurgery because of 5G. I don't know if I'm doing that, but at least my emails are arriving super fast now. But you can do remote telesurgery. So yeah. you have the capability now to try and perform that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I, I have the opportunity here. But at the same time, I realize I'm using the phone mostly for attending Teams meetings remotely, uh, doing a bit of WhatsApp, and that's mostly it. But the opportunity is there, though. So I, I wonder if this can help when you do tethering. So what I did, you know, before the world turned upside down in, in recent years, what I did a lot is because I've been working remotely for now going eight years or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work from coffee shops. I work from some friends' offices. I work from clients. I work from all kinds of places. And I use my mobile phone all the time from for tethering. So I could connect my laptop through my mobile phone to the internet. Now with 5G, maybe this makes it a lot better because oftentimes over 4G even, uh, you know, you get some spotty connections even in the cities. Sometimes the 4G kind of drops depending on where you live. With 5G, if you have, you know, surface area for that, then maybe this also becomes a, a better experience to, to do like everything with full capacity on your laptop while tethering from the phone. That's something I have to try out whenever I, I venture outside my home. I actually had this discussion with, with a sales guy from the mobile phone operator where I went, went, went to buy the phone. And he casually asked me, so how's your connectivity? Do we need to upgrade anything? And I said, no, no, I'm fine. I've got the 5G contract, that's perfect. Yeah, but at home, what do you have now? And, and would you need something faster? And they always ask this, and I always say, I'm happy to purchase a faster one once you sell me a faster fiber. And they're like, yeah, well, that's not a possibility. But this, this time, the salesperson said, but you have 5G now. And I was like, yeah, I don't think 5G is going to cut it because when kids start watching Netflix, I have a team swimming with video and the rest of the family is doing something. And I, and I have a lot of devices connected at the same time. That might not be optimal. And he said, no, no, it's perfect up to 50 devices and they all get the same band. Wow. Nice. I'm like, okay, I, I've never read this, but perhaps I should try before sort of just, just judging myself that it's never going to work out. 
So interesting times. I will try um, before our next episode, I'll try um, connecting my phone to the laptop uh, and utilizing the 5G then on the laptop to see if it's any better or, or, or worse. Cool. So how about for you? So on my side, I, I've said in, in a couple of recent episodes that we sold our house, uh, we moved to an apartment, um, and perhaps we just bought a new house. So we might move again in a few months. And I guess the upside of this is we're at least getting the, the routines down for how to be efficient during a move. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a year of change, uh, to say the least. A lot of things going on. Uh, you know, recently we got the new baby and we were moving and packing and unpacking at the same time. We moved into the apartment. We've now been here for about a month. And now in a few months, we may end up moving again to uh, what I hope to be a more permanent location, which is in the same area we had our last home. Uh, so close to the sea where I kind of grew up uh, along the sea here. So yeah, I, I think it ticks a lot of the boxes. So that's going to be interesting. But the most interesting thing about that is that they have turned their 30 square meter garage into a home office with glass walls. So what used to be a very boring, cold garage is now going to be, and I quote my man cave, um, but I don't use that phrase at home. I say that this is going to be where I do all the, the hard work to earn the money for our living and to buy this house and so on. Um, but that's going to be pretty cool. So uh, the entire family will have it as a, like a, an exercise room and you know doing some hobbies and whatever, but mainly uh, daytime I will use it for work. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. This sounds really good. I'm, I'm happy that you get to stay in the same area. It's so much easier, especially with kids, if you don't have to change everything at the same time, but you can sort of remain in the same kindergarten or, or, or continue at the same school, even if you switch homes in between. Yeah. Good stuff. So today, uh, briefly chatting about security operations in Azure. And I, I think when we were sort of planning for this episode, we figured that Let's do an episode where we talk more about the security operations as opposed to just saying that there's a service X and this service can be utilized like this and the pricing is that, even though that's useful. But now perhaps sort of um, get together the different topics we've touched upon on, on several past episodes and then focus more on the security operation. So often I see it called Security Operations Center, and there's, of course, the Network Operations Center, the NOC and the SOC. Are you seeing SOC being used nowadays? I see that a lot. I, I see this pretty much every day in the you know, online circles that I move and where I get information, updates, news. There's a lot of people working on uh, different SOC teams. You also see SecOps, which is then Secured Operations. But you also see DevSecOps, which is kind of a more full cycle and you know, development and security operations and IT operations kind of combined um, specifically for security teams or security operation teams. We, we still see a lot of uh, security operations center or SOC uh, being mentioned, of course. Um, so this is uh, it's a, it's a big thing. It's an important role. And you know, given the data breaches in the just the last couple of months and the last few years, this is an ever-increasing threat 
you know, whatever you do, whatever services you use, whatever you build, however you utilize, whether it's in the cloud or not, you know, there's going to be threats and you should, as Microsoft put it in their zero trust model, you should assume breach and then act accordingly. So don't assume that you're secure and then only act, you know, after the fact, but act as if you're already breached and ensure you tight everything down because this is pretty much the only way to try at least and stay ahead of the game. Um, so yeah, to answer the question, I do see this a lot. Um, there are people working full-time with this. And I know we also talked about bringing someone on board onto the show to do an episode um, to, to see inside a SOC or a security operations center working specifically with Azure and Azure related services. So that's an episode you guys can look forward to. We'll try to, uh, to find a guest to join us to talk about that. I know there's plenty of folks interested in the topic, and I know there's a lot of very qualified speakers who would love to share their, their knowledge here. Um, so that said, you know, the, the tasks of these teams, uh, you know, it's, the, it's what you usually hear. You, hear. you need to detect, prioritize, and triage potential attacks. And then, you know, what you do is we review telemetry, you monitor your systems, uh, you investigate security breaches and, and things like that. And a lot of the times this build on something called NIST cybersecurity framework, which I've reviewed a couple of times. Uh, I'm no expert in this area. I work with security related aspects a lot, uh, both from code to operations, but, you know, nowhere near uh, qualified as anyone working as a full-time SOC specialist. Um, so if, if you do work with that, you know, NIST might be something that's highly familiar. If not, this is something we'll introduce in the next episode when we talk about, um, you know, deep dive into us, Azure-based SOC. Um, so what about you? What's your, what's your take on, on this topic? So first off, SecOps. Finally, we have something without those pesky developers. So we don't <laughs> have to worry about them. Um, it, it's I, secure just by removing that part, right? <laughs> yeah. Nobody's developing anything. We are secure by default. Uh, I, I love the fact that security back in the day, again, it used to be something that IT did. IT would reset the password. IT would, would put these policies in place. And that was that. And whatever the users did, if something failed, it was because IT didn't configure something or they didn't detect something. And, and now we have these this, uh, different areas or subcategories of security, and I'm by no means an expert on this. So I, I find it interesting when I see somebody perhaps on social media or delivering presentation on, on something super niche, I have very little understanding on. And then I understand that somebody's really working full-time on something like this, as opposed to when I was young, it was more about security in general. Perhaps you would specialize in network security, but that was still security itself, perhaps configuring something and that was that. So I, I feel that there's, there's a lot of things companies have to account for here. And, and perhaps for smaller companies, it doesn't make sense to set up their own different security teams and responsibilities because it often ends up being the same person with multiple hats on. So I'm also seeing 
different companies offering services like rapid response, rapid response if you've been breached, or or recovery on certain aspects, or if something was encrypted, perhaps through random a ransomware, they would come in and help you uh, recover your files, stuff like this. So definitely, there's demand for these different roles. But at the same time, I feel that any company nowadays utilizing Azure and, of course, Microsoft 365 and other cloud platforms, they, they also have to invest a bit more than they used to. So you cannot just externalize and say, well, we use the cloud, we are secure. And that, that probably has to do with this sort of end-to-end -end security, but also assuming that you've been breached. So not trusting the internal network blindly as we used to but securing all aspects, but at the same time, having this sort of framework in place that when something happens, we sort of would know what to do next. And this is a model I'm seeing, especially on, on the marketing side. So there's different uh, response models. If, if there's, uh, let's say there's bad news that the company needs to break out to the markets, there might be a process to follow and now I'm seeing security has exactly the same sort of model here. And of course, that requires people who know what they're doing. So when we talk more about Azure and, and security operations and security operations centers, if, if somebody came up to you, let's say you're, you're walking to the grocery store in your new, from your new house and you're thinking of getting milk and cookies and whatnot, and then somebody stops you and goes, so what service or services should I utilized from Azure. I'm building this SecOps team and I'm in charge of security operations in my company. What would you reply? Uh, that's a pretty good question. And I guess that is like the core of this episode where, uh, you know, if you're working in the Azure space and you have a lot of your things flowing, like you use authentication for your users with AD in the cloud, Azure AD, uh, you have a bunch of services and you connect a bunch of systems, you can consent to different apps from other vendors, third-party apps that gets access to your, you know, environments and your tenants and whatever it is. Um, you know, it can be pretty tricky to keep track of all of that. Um, so the first step um, is Azure Security Center, I would say, because this is on by default. And then you can just um, kind of modify the policies to fit your organization using Azure policies and stuff like that. We talked about Azure policies, I believe, in, in a previous episode. Um, and this is important because Azure Security Center, which we have touched on in a lot of the episodes we talk about Azure updates, they roll out updates all the time. Like every month, there are a bunch of new recommendations, a bunch of new features, and this just keeps adding on to what's already there. And like this is a go-to point for me to see, get a number, if you will, on the security posture for a lot of things, because I can define my own policies, my Azure policies, and then have Security Central report on those policies for me as well, saying, you know, you should tighten up things here, you should not do this, you should do that, which is a great first step. But it still doesn't really, that's more a preventative measure. That is something that you do to kind of see the overall security posture for some of the common services you have, what I would really say that you need to take a look at is Azure Sentinel, which is a CM, uh, right? And, um, and, and a CM is a security and information event management system. And Azure Sentinel is Microsoft's version of a CM. And 
using that, you can get signals from all over the place. You have on-prem environments, you have hybrid uh, setups, you have cloud-hosted environments. All of these things can send signals through connectors to Azure Sentinel, or you can send your own custom signals uh, as I did in uh, one of the blog posts I wrote a couple of years back. I sent custom signals to a log analytics workspace and I categorized them with uh, perhaps a high priority and high sensitivity and it's you know security related, whatever, um, which is custom signals from your applications. Then Azure Sentinel can pick this up because Azure Sentinel is essentially uh, based on a log analytics workspace. So if you send the data in there, it will pick it up and then you can just connect to your tenants in Office 365, connect to Azure AD and privileged identity management, connect to different VM agents, connect to uh, firewall logs, you know, all these things that you traditionally see in, in one of these security and information event management or CM systems. These things is something you can do from Azure Sentinel to get the signals. When you have the signals, you can then uh, kind of do threat hunting. You can, uh, you know, uh, review and assess what's going on and what kind of data is flowing. Are we seeing suspicious activity? If you have had a breach, you can use this to kind of drill down into what actually happened, where, you know, where did this IP address come from, or where did this first touch base with our systems? And you know, you can do all these kind of things. And we did have an episode as, uh, on Azure Sentinel with Martin, and we'll put this in the show notes as well if you're interested specifically in Azure Sentinel. Um, that was a pretty good episode with a great overview of how that works. Uh, so I would say Azure Security Center and then connecting stuff with Azure Sentinel to get all these kind of signals. Um, that's a, a first step. And the final thing that comes from the top of my mind, and I have a long list, but just to take some of the most important ones that I see is Azure Monitor. Also built in, you don't have to really customize or build some proprietary solution on top of that. Using Azure Monitor, you can set up, you can collect signals from all over the place, different places. And then you can set up alerts, you know, for any log analytics workspaces you have and stuff like that. And you can um, get various signals, uh, sending alerts by email or by a webhook or whatever, whatever kind of action group you set up. And this enables you to be proactive when things happen. And we're not always talking about an incident in terms of your company has been hacked, but also, something sensitive was shared or you have an you know unfortunate configuration of something or you know not everything is a, a deliberate attack or a malicious activity but also things that happen by mistake or that a someone in the company did but unknowingly so these are also things that we can kind of be proactive in and hopefully mitigate before it leads to any you know wider concern so azure sentinel azure security center azure monitor all of these things help uh, when taking a look at you know your daily operations uh, around Azure. And I have a long list here, but you know what's your thoughts on on these topics and these tools? So there's a lot to unpack here. Really good insights. Uh, let me pick first on Azure Security Center because yesterday I spent almost all day within Azure Security Center for for one customer of mine. And, and what's surprising now in ASC is that when it was initially um, announced and it became available, it sort of had this free tier and the paid standard tier. 
But now, since they are renamed some of the licensing, now it's Azure Security Center Free and Azure Security Center with Azure Defender. And the Defender bit is, is, is the one that you have to pay on top of everything else. And what I found out with ASC is that you get a lot with the free version, but whenever you get this uh, inkling or, or this feeling that, oh, I need to dig deeper on this thing here, it will inevitably give you a pop-up saying, perhaps you want to upgrade to Azure Defender because this specific feature requires the paid version. And of course it makes sense because they give something for free and then anything more advanced will cost you additional money. And I'm happy to pay more, that's not the problem. Perhaps the challenge is that it's super hard to estimate what's the cost going to be month over month, depending on, on what specific features of Azure Defender you're enabling. And I, I feel that Azure Sentinel is a no-brainer. So you need these two, ASC and Sentinel, of course. And what I found out also is that if you have, if you have multiple log analytics workspaces, should you have a lot of them and then enable Azure Sentinel on each one? Or should you just have one central log analytics workspace and enable Sentinel on that to sort of have this one view for all of your logs? And I did read on Microsoft Docs that the common best practice or the recommendation is to have a single log analytics workspace where you sort of centralize all of your events and signals, and then you let Azure Sentinel do its magic on top of that one log analytics workspace. And I, I often see the opposite. I, I see 27 log analytics workspaces, and then it sort of gets a bit messy with Azure Sentinel because you have to hop back and forth to, to get the big picture. As opposed to ASC, it gives you this, regardless of what management groups, what amount of subscriptions you have, it gives you this, this overview of everything and then allows you to drill down. So beyond these three, Sentinel, ASC, and Monitor, uh, one of the real old school mechanisms that's quite often overlooked though, is Azure Network Security Groups. So, so NSGs, which, which are basically access control lists on how traffic gets flowing between VNets or to your services. And, and I like it that they are so approachable and easy to understand. But at the same time, let's say you have a web application you have another web application with a custom API, perhaps an Azure SQL database. When you start building these NSG rules, it gets really messy really quickly, especially if the ports are changing or the IP addresses are not fixed. And then I often feel perhaps Azure Firewall or something else would be better here than fiddling with this, this sort of low level rules on specific ports as opposed to figuring out how do we actually control the traffic here? So monitoring NSGs, I, I find that a bit cumbersome with, with the network watch, but it works. And I often try to bubble these events and triggers through Azure Sentinel as opposed to going to the logs myself. Yeah, so I know you can turn this on with like NSG flow logs, and then you can, you know, that is then written to, I think, an Azure storage account, and then you can yeah. access it from there. But it, yeah, again, uh, if you have data in different locations and, and some data in a storage account, some data in Sentinel, 
you know, something is in a JSON format, uh, in a blob, other things are, you know, in log analytics as a row, which, you know, is also JSON in, in a sense, but if you have things spread out, it, you know, it becomes more cumbersome, like you say. Um, so any, anything that can help you consolidate, um, you know, so you have a, a single place or fewer places to take a look at, that helps. Yeah, it definitely does. And then I, I did think of, of one service, and we perhaps briefly mentioned this a couple of times when we had a chat about Azure Front Door, but Azure DDoS Protection, Distributed Denial of Service Protection. And I, I have to admit, I've never used this in production. Have you? We've not used it. Um, mainly, I think, due to the pricing, at least last time I looked at it, uh, the price for that was more than you know, we could justify for what we were operating at the moment, mm -hmm. because at the moment we were not operating anything that would justify this. I have customers and peers in the in my circles and my network that I've talked a lot uh, with this about. Some of them are, you know, bigger companies, large and enterprise companies. And for them, it makes perfect sense, you know, because the, the cost will be negligible, you know, given the capabilities they actually get. For me, I mean, we're a small company of 20 people, and, you know, whatever we operate is, you know, we can operate a lot of things, but we haven't seen a justification for that because um, most of the things that are accessible to the outside runs, uh, you know, through some, some of the web interfaces. And then we can use Azure Front Door, uh, you know, as a first line of defense there to, you know, mitigate most of the common attack vectors from, from the web-enabled applications. Yeah, I, I share the same sentiment here, and I'm I'm not really operating any any SaaS services, so so the need for DDoS has been, or the DDoS protection, let's call it this, uh, has been lower. But I try to keep this in mind when the opportunity arises that a customer would need it. I, I'd, I'd be happy to take take a deeper look on this. Um, then another service, and I'm a bit confused on this because I, I feel that every 18 months, somebody at Microsoft decides, let's change the name, let's change the, the whole audience and the scope of this product, and let's split it to three new products, and then let's merge them two years from now. And this is Azure Information Protection. Mm -hmm. So there's the Azure Rights Management. Then we have the, the super old on-premises Rights Management Services and Rights Management Server. And AIP now is the side on Azure that allows you to, to uh, protect information like documents by, by creating these labels. But then you have the counterpart in Office 365. And I think they now announced Azure Purview. We mentioned that in one of the Azure Update episodes. And, and that I understand is also for classifying and labeling data, but perhaps from on-premises and finding that data. So AIP, super interesting. I've used it a couple of times in production workloads, but I also have to admit, I haven't really taken a look in the past couple of months. What's the latest on that? But are you using this? Are you seeing this? Is this something that keeps you awake at night? I mean, I have a lot of things that could keep me awake at night, uh, but I would still like to think that, you know, staying ahead of the game is, is helping everyone sleep better at night. Uh, but as with everything, when you host something, when you operate something, yeah, there's things to think about. Um, Azure Information Protection is, uh, you know, kind of a, 
along those lines. Uh, so that's a, you know, the Microsoft Information Protection or Azure Information Protection is kind of a framework uh, for products and integrated capabilities. Uh, so you can use those to, you know, protect your organization's sensitive information. We have not rolled it out internally, but again, when I'm advising clients, when I'm talking to other vendors, when I'm talking to people in the sphere, a lot of people seem to use it. Uh, but again, larger and enterprise customers to, uh, to Microsoft. Some of the uh, SMEs or small medium businesses don't even know what it is. You know, when I talk to a lot of people who recently, you know, joined the cloud, if you want to say it like that, they moved from on-prem and started to migrate and modernize their workloads. They have no idea about all the things you can do. When when I've introduced some of these things, you know, it just doesn't fit the bill. There, there's not enough resources, and this is too big of a thing for a small company with 50 people or 200 people to, to even think about. So I, I do see uh, from the people I speak with that large and enterprise customers make use of it sometimes. Smaller companies, perhaps not, uh, not so much. So personally, I, I, yeah, we're a small company. We don't make use of it as we should in you know certain regards. But on the other hand, we have other things to uh, classify like data with DLP or data loss prevention. So we do have things in place for, you know, protecting emails and, and documents from being shared with sensitive data and stuff like that. So there's different ways, but when it comes to operating Azure security and with AIP or, or information protect protection, we don't specifically do that. But actually when I think about it, and when I now think about the discussions I've had with peers in the industry, that is also a topic for an episode in itself that we should invite a guest to speak on because mm -hmm. I know people who use it and I, I know that they know everything about it and they can probably inform us about all the things we don't know and all the <laughs> use cases we don't understand. So why we would actually need to reconsider taking a look at it perhaps. Uh, so that might be an idea. So now we need to find a guest who can inform us about all the things we don't know about. So, so I, I think that's going to be a long list. Um, so, so last, but perhaps not least, I wanted to add Azure Arc in here. And, and while it's not strictly uh, meant as a security operations team tool, I feel it's a key piece in driving Azure policy to your remote platform, such as, as on-premises, for example. So it's, it's fairly new, but it, it does allow you to forcefully push perhaps the log analytics agent on your VMs that are hosted elsewhere than Azure, and then collect logs from there so that Azure Sentinel and Azure Monitor can pick up on those logs. So I, I feel Azure Arc, because it's free by default, that that's highly useful to, to sort of, uh, in, in, in a hybrid scenario, to bring all of these together. Yeah, makes sense. Um, tools, some additional insights. I want to mention Azure Well-Architected Framework. And we spoke about this in episode 41. So that was ages ago. Um, and, and I feel this framework really nicely has, it has the five modules and the fifth module is security. And within that module, you have the security operations and the monitoring and, and, and the whole thing around security and, and how do you architect that 
properly in Azure. And another one is Azure Advisor. And why I want to mention this is that yesterday when I was working on Azure Security Center, I did open Azure Advisor on a couple of subscriptions and, and I was blown away with the new look and feel because it gives you these six different categories now and you can drill down and, and it reminds me a lot of the ASC's recommendation. And some items are, are identical, of course, or shared between these two. But Azure Advisor, I feel, is super good, especially for security operations, because you can open it and you can see already, so we have a bunch of things we have to fix now in order to remain secure. Yeah, that makes sense. And I like that you mentioned the, uh, the WAF or the well-architected framework. Depending on who you speak with, they will call it WAF or, or well-architected. Because to me, WAF is a web application firewall, right? Yeah, uh, to me, to me someone, who works, someone who works in the, uh, in the other area uh, or in other areas might reference this as uh, the WAF. I was very confused when I spoke to someone who called it WAF. Anyway... Uh, the well-architected framework, that's a super great thing to mention. There is actually one of the pillars in the well-architected framework is security. And there are things about the principles, uh, the design and monitoring and optimizations around security. And all of these things are resources you should go check out. I read through every single page uh, in the well-architected framework in the docs.microsoft.com slash architecture, I think, no, slash Azure slash architecture. And this is super valuable information. In here, you can find everything you need to know, you know, to get started. And even if you've been working in Azure for a long time, I started with Azure in 2008. Every day, there's new things I have no idea about. You know, you will never understand and know everything there is to know in this space. It just changes too quickly. And there are so many things to keep track of. However, the well-architected framework is a great place to get insights into this specific topic. But then of course, what we talked about in, in the episode you mentioned, episode number 41, there's the other pillars like uh, performance efficiency, operational excellence, cost optimization, you know, design patterns. And uh, when it comes to security, take a look here. Um, and if you're you know, a, a seasoned Azure professional and you've worked in this space for a long time and you haven't checked out the well-architected framework, go to the landing page and go from there you know, if you are just interested in security, click security. There is a ton of valuable information and I would highly recommend everyone to take a look. Super cool. All righty. So this was super interesting. And I think we have a couple of tasks on, on finding a few guests on some of the topics to, to do a bit deeper dive. But I, I feel we, we did touch upon all of the major aspects of security operations in Azure. So last time we introduced a new uh, bit in, in the show, the unexpected question. And I had a question for you last time. So I think it's only fair if you post the unexpected question to me now. <laughs> oh, I, so since last time I wrote down a lot of questions and, you know, I would really love to just go through all of them now because I need an answer from you on all these things. All right. You know, let's, so we have, let's make it one question today and then we see, uh, see how we take it from there. Uh, so this one is interesting. You know, it can be super serious. It can be not so serious. That's up to you. I will just ask the question and you will answer it. So the question is, 
if you made a rule that applied for a single day and everyone had to follow it, what would it be? Oh, this is an interesting one. It is. So everyone in the everyone whole wide world. In the world, every single individual in the world has to follow this one rule for one single day. This is a tough one. I, I have so many, so many things off, but I, I do know the answer. And everyone would have to follow this. My answer would be, you do not do calls, teams, events, conference calls in public spaces with your speaker on your phone. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen you've been, been burned uh, yes. by that before. Yeah. Uh, interesting. All right, cool. Yeah. I, I might come, come, come up with additional thoughts in future episodes. I, this mean, is a great I have a question. lot of thoughts, but it's too yeah. late. One question, one answer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This was fun. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And uh, until next time. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.